Genesis chapter number 2 this evening. I'm going to preach to you a sermon that has been on the desktop of my computer for about eight weeks. I just had not found the appropriate time to preach it. I didn't know when the Lord was going to allow me to. I was very excited to preach it. I just never got peace about it. And the Lord gave me peace to preach this sermon this evening. And so for all 12 of you, it's going to be great. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But uh, let's, let's learn something from the Bible this evening and see if maybe it can apply to our lives. If it's from the Bible, I would say it's pretty applicable as all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. So Genesis chapter 2, verse number 8, the Bible says, And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Now all the trees met those requirements. They were all pleasant to the sight. They were all good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now if you'll kind of skip down to verse number 15, the Bible says, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. Verse 17, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Fast forward now to Genesis chapter 3, verse 22. I figure we don't have to read all the contents of the story, for most of us probably know what takes place, but uh, they disobey God. Eve is deceived by Satan, and uh, she takes of the fruit, and then after she takes of the fruit, uh, she gets Adam in on it, and he convince, she convinces him to eat the fruit, and it wasn't her fault he ate the fruit. He ate the fruit by his own volition, and that's the way our sin is. Nobody else is guilty for our own sin, and so he was guilty now. And uh, we pick back up in Genesis chapter 22. The Bible says, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us. You see, that's the cleverness of the devil he doesn't completely lie. That's why he's the best liar there is. He uses so much truth in his lie that the or in his lies that the, the falsities of his lies are almost indiscernible. God even acknowledges here, behold, the man has become as one of us. What was Satan's lie? You shall be like him. Well, God acknowledges that truth. That's a study in of itself. We could do that for days, but but going on, the man has become as one of us, and this is how he became. We did not become sovereign. We did not become omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient. This is how we became like God at the moment that Adam ate of that fruit. To know good and evil before he was completely ignorant to his guilt. He was completely ignorant of disobedience and of sin and of wickedness. He, he had no idea what these things were. Very similar to how a small child doesn't comprehend fully the ramifications when they do something wrong, when they're playing with the light, uh, the, the plug in the wall, the light socket, and they're putting that fork in there, you say, don't do that. What do they do? They look at you and they go right back to it. Why? Because they do not understand the ramifications of their disobedience. And that's what Adam became aware of here. That's how he became like God. He understood the difference between good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent, forth, uh, sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden 
cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. At the root of every sin are three elements. First of all, our pride. I believe all, all sin starts in pride. It's saying basically that it, I, I know better than God. I, I, I can direct my life better than God. That's for sure why Eve ate of it. She, God, she knew what God had said. In fact, they'd even added extra restrictions to that. And yet Eve said within herself, I want this because this is best for me. It didn't matter that it was against God's will. That's what she wanted. It was a very prideful decision. Secondly is selfishness. It's like we stick our fists up at God and say, this is mine. I desire this. Regardless of what you want from me, this is the way that I choose. And then the third thing that is at the core of every sin is this, discontentment. And you say, what do you mean, Brother Andrew? I mean this. God has given us, if you've been here on Sunday night... All things that pertain to life and godliness. God did not short you on blessings. God did not give you less salvation than He gave me or than He gave the Apostle Paul or the Apostle Peter. He gave us the salvation free and abundant. And I believe Jesus said, I came to give life more abundantly. And we can have that in God's will. But when we choose sin over following in obedience to God, you know what we're saying? God, the, the benefits and the blessings that you have given me are not enough. And we become discontent with what God's already given us. That is absolutely the case in Eve's life and in Adam's life. When they said to God, I want my way, I know what's best for me, what you've given me is not enough for me. Now, many of you are probably looking at this stage tonight wondering why we decided to throw off the feng shui in the auditorium. I mean, we have really messed up. I don't even know all the, 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 the yin and the yangs or whatever. I mean, we are definitely off balance tonight. Uh, you can see that these trees are new. And I brought these up here for a purpose. It's because they were getting kind of dusty and I needed Brother Sean to move them so he'd finally vacuum them. But, uh, no, I'm just kidding. That was a joke. Uh, but here we have two trees. In our story tonight, there are more than two trees, but two special trees, okay? The Bible says that there were many trees in the garden. God had put many there and they all bore some type of fruit. But there were two trees in particular. This tree to my right over by the piano, your left, will represent the famous tree. The famous tree. Now that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the reason I call that the, the famous tree is because that's the one that gets most of the, the, the play. That's the one we know about. That's the one that Eve spends more time around. That's the one that Satan uh, is, uh, tempts her at. She's working around the tree and Lucifer one day in the form of a serpent calls to her and says, Oh, Eve! And she goes to that tree. So that's the famous tree. There's been a lot more sermons preached about this tree than this tree. And so while that's the famous tree, this tree is called the forgotten tree. This, I've never heard a sermon on this tree 
I've heard plenty on that one. I've never heard one on that one. This tree is the tree of life. You see, God put two significant trees in the Garden of Eden, but only one is famous. The other one is forgotten. You say, Brother Andrew, how does that represent me? How how can I apply that to my life? Well, if you will, God allowed this tree, the forgotten tree, to be freely taken of within the confines of his will. He never made a, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? He never said they couldn't eat from this tree. He never made a commandment say you can't eat from the tree of life. The fruit will hurt you or you'll die. It'll poison you. None of that. Of all the trees thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. So that means that this tree they could freely eat of, right? So allow this tree tonight to represent God's blessings that you are allowed to partake of. But just like this tree, the famous tree, just like this tree in Eve's life represented something that was outside of the confines of God's will, so it will represent that in our life tonight. It may be better said like this. For the husband... This tree represents the wife who God has given you and loves you and cares for you and your family and works hard uh, to be the mother of your children. That's what this tree represents. This tree represents the floozy at work. This tree for for the mother at home represents... The, 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 the family and the things that God has given you. This tree represents you looking at Facebook and wondering why your family can't be more like everybody else's. Have you ever noticed nobody posts their bad moments on Facebook? Nobody posts their bad mornings. They only post their no filter days, right? Hashtag no filter. You know, and nobody posts their bad days. And so what we do is we get this false idea of what everybody else's life is like. By the way, we all got problems. But we grow discontent in these things. And this represents the coveting of someone else's life. For the teenager, this represents waiting on God for the right person. And then honoring them and keeping their integrity And then they get married in a God-honoring way, and the whole time they retain their purity. That's what this tree represents, the forgotten tree, the one that's not as popular in our world anymore. But this tree represents climbing in the back of a pickup truck and, 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 and taking things that you shouldn't be involved in. Far too early, far too out of God's will. That's what these represent. He said, that doesn't make any sense. No, 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 that's exactly what they represent in Scripture. One is a blessing within the confinements of God's will. One is, in our case, sometimes we think it's a benefit, but it's outside of God's will. That's what it represents. And I know there's no children in the room tonight, but, but for children, this tree represents the restrictions and the structure that are at their home. And no kid likes rules. Haven't yet to meet one that does. This represents the 
the, the friend in their class who doesn't have near that structure and has a lot more freedom to do whatever they want at home. But yet, even in a kid's mind, they can start to want that and forget about the benefits and the blessings of that. You see, the forgotten tree is God's blessings inside of His will. The famous tree is the one that we often want and desire, just like Adam and Eve did. But before we go and spend our time around the famous tree, before we go to, to spend our time and, and, and partake in the famous tree of our lives, before we go there, may we just consider these three things. Number one, will we settle for God's permissive will or stay in His perfect will? You see, there's a difference between the two. In fact, I think if you study scripture, you'll find there's three wills of God. Three wills of God. Number one, there is the proclaimed will of God. That's anything that God clearly states in scripture. You see, uh, we all have different, uh, uh, different things in our life, but God's will for me in uh, matters of piety in righteousness and holiness and conversation are the exact same for me as they are for Miss Brown. It doesn't change. It's the same as it is for me and Brother Alk. It doesn't change. It doesn't change in different countries. It doesn't change for different cultures. God's proclaimed will is the same. God says, be ye holy as I am holy, saith the Lord. And that doesn't change depending on circumstances. It is God's proclaimed will. And God's proclaimed will will always agree with, number two, His perfect will. I believe this, the Bible says, be not ignorant concerning what the will of the Lord is. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12 that there is a good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And you can be in that perfect will. And the perfect will of God always aligns with His proclaimed will. You see... You cannot be in God's perfect will if you're doing something in direct opposition to the proclaimed will of God. In other words, I cannot be in, at peace with God living in adultery. You understand that? Because it's outside of His proclaimed will, and therefore I cannot be in His perfect will. But if you are in His proclaimed will, you will be in His perfect will. But there's a third will of God, and that is this, the permissive will of God. And I, I, I honestly cannot uh, spell it out for you clearly enough. I cannot explain it fully. But somewhere in God's sovereignty, God allows men to choose. Just as he did Adam and Eve. You see that in salvation. You see the Bible says, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. What is God's will? That every single person would come to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is his will for the world. In fact, he was slain before the foundation of the world so that every man and every woman and every child could know him as Savior and go back to paradise like Adam and Eve were. That's his will. Now, is that the way it is? No. Unfortunately, the Bible says that one day, there will come a day where people that reject Christ and the atonement of His blood will one day be, be cast into hellfire. It's just the reality of it. And so there is a perfect will, which is 
God wants everyone to be saved. But somewhere in the permissive will of God, we choose other things. We, we go the opposite route. We divert when God wants us to do another thing. And here's what we think. When we speak of the will of God, like if I were to just announce tonight, I'm preaching on the will of God, we often apply it in terms of physical and tangible manners. In other words, we say, well, I just want to make sure that this house that I'm buying is the will of God. I just want to make sure, like in a teenager's life, I just want to make sure that the college I go to is the will of God. I want to make sure that this boy or girl that I date is the perfect will of God. And, and it's much more, you hear it much more in terms of teenagers, but we all are trying to find the perfect will of God in our life at all points in times, And we're trying to stay in God's perfect will. But when we talk about it, we talk about it in tangible and physical manners. But in the Bible, the will of God is much more frequently applied to the spiritual man than it is the physical man. In other words, we become more concerned about whether the car we're driving is God's will than the life that we're living is God's will. And it is foolish to, to wonder if God is more worried about me driving a Chevy or a Ford than it is for me to be a soul winner or to be a drunkard. There, there really is no... We ought to be much more concerned with this. And I personally believe that if you get this side right, we have a lot of sides going on, but, but if you get the, the spiritual man right, God says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, not guided, not directed, ordered. So the Chevy and Ford debate, we can settle at a later date. Let's get the spiritual man right. Let's stay in God's perfect will. And God's perfect will always agrees with God's proclaimed will. But when we're choosing between the forgotten tree and the famous tree, one thing that may help us choose better is this. Are we willing to step outside of God's perfect will and into His permissive will? To settle for less than the best because we had better plans of our own. Are we willing to settle for God's permissive will instead of His perfect will? Number two, will we be content with the blessings that God has provided for us or will we charge forward in an effort to make our own blessings? And that's exactly what we do. Eve was told, hey Eve, this, you see this fruit, it's good. The, the Lord doesn't want you to eat of this fruit because he knows that in the moment they eat of this fruit, you should be like him. And he, he was telling the truth-ish. He doesn't tell any truth, but he's such a good liar, it looks like the truth. And, and so he tells her this, and she says, and the Bible says, when she saw that the, the fruit was good to look upon, and it was desired to make one wise, and it was good for food, she ate it. And in her mind, she reasoned that if she takes this fruit of the famous tree, if she eats this, her life will somehow be better than if she had just stayed at the, at the forgotten tree. But see, over here, life doesn't get better than over here. This is as good as it gets. In fact, listen to me, this is as close to heaven on earth as we get. I'll prove it to you. 
The Bible says in the book of Revelation, chapter 22, verse 2, In the midst of the street of it, speaking of heaven, and on either side of the river was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manners of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, God says this, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Now, I don't know when this happened. I, I can't tell you. In fact, I've studied it out. I've looked up commentators. You know who commentators are. They know the exact amount of the Bible as we do. They just better at guessing, okay? And uh, that's about what a commentator is. But, but I've looked at commentators. I, I, I've looked at a, a lot of really smart people. Nobody knows exactly when this happened. But this tree at one time was in the Garden of Eden after the Garden of Eden and the fall of man, somehow, sometime, God plucked this tree up by the roots and planted it in heaven. Or at least a tree just like it. I said earlier that this tree is as close to heaven as we get on earth. And that was absolutely the case in Eve's and Adam's life. It was, wor- it was heavenly. This is an ornament of heaven. And yet they chose the famous tree. What a shame. They chose their way. They chose what they thought was best. They chose the plans that they could make over what God had already ordained in their life to be His perfect will. You say, how silly is that? I agree. So let me ask you a question. Why do we do it all the time? When God's will is so good for us, and the life that is abundant, and the peace that passes all understanding, all of these manners of life are found at the forgotten tree, the one that is less popular. You know the one that the Bible says, Broad is the way that leadeth into destruction, but narrow is the way, and few be that enter in there. There's so few that are over here at the forgotten tree. And in Christian circles, it is just as much the case. There's a very popular gathering over at the famous tree, and very few Christians are willing to live the life worthy of the forgotten tree. Are we willing... Are we willing to be content with the blessings that God has given us or will we forge ahead to make our own? There's no difference between Adam and Eve and the prodigal son. You know, the one that came to the father one day and said, Give me my portion of goods that belongeth to me. Selfish, prideful, and discontent. He says, You give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And the father divided unto him his living. The, the, the Bible says not many days after, the, the prodigal son, the younger son, took all of those goods into a far country and there wasted his living with a riotous living. He wasted his substance with riotous living. All that the father had given him, all the blessings of the father, and yet he took it to a far off country and wasted it. What a shame. 
Are we going to be content with the blessings of living in dad's house? Are we going to be content with the blessings of staying in God's will? Or will we forge ahead to make our own blessings? It's actually not all that different than tithing, actually. You see, it doesn't make much sense. It would say, you know, we're here in this world. We know what's going on. As we get more knowledge and experience, you know, there's men in this room I greatly respect. A bunch of men in this room I call and ask life advice from. And, 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 it, and we say, you know, the older we get, the more we can make better decisions. And we, we kind of have experience in certain areas. But all the time, the Bible says that we ought to depend on God. We ought to stay in God's will. We ought to seek His will for our life. And, and so... My point is this, that we ought to seek after God. And and, and sometimes we get the idea that we're we're in control of our life, we can do it, and so it would make sense for us to run our own life, for us to be in the captain's seat. But in tithing, it's so similar because this is what God says, bring the tithes into the storehouse, 10%. You bring that into the storehouse, and he, and he basically makes this promise. I'll make 90 stretch farther than you can make 100 go. People come to our church all the time, and they look at our church and say, what a beautiful church. Man, it's just such a beautiful facility. And we're thankful for that, by the way, and that's all to the glory of God. Because uh, I know my dad, he's a smart man, he's a wise man, but without God's help, this building isn't here, this campus isn't here. This is God's doing and is marvelous in our eyes. But sometimes people come on this property and they say, man, it's just wonderful. And it's almost like they're asking the question, how did this come to be? I'll tell you how it came to be. A bunch of really faithful people took God up on His promise. That He would make 90 stretch further than they could make their 100 stretch. And He says this, Prove me now herewith, and see if I won't open the windows of heaven, and pour you out a blessing that ye will not be able to receive. You see, when we stay in God's will, we don't always see the blessings, but the blessings come. When we stay right here at the forgotten tree, the one that's not as popular, the one that the world mocks and makes fun of, that tree, when we stay there, God gives blessings, and those blessings are far more than anything we could work up over here. Will we be willing to be satisfied and content with the blessings that God has provided or will we charge forward in pursuit of making our own? Number three, and we'll be gone this evening. Here's the third thought we ought to consider before we take advantage of the famous tree. Are we able to bear the consequences? Sometimes I get the idea that there's some people that live their life and, and kind of this, this thought goes through their mind, well, maybe I'll be the one that gets away with it. And the Bible says in Galatians, he says, be not, it says, be not deceived, God is not mocked. Nobody makes fun of God. Nobody pulls one over God's eyes. I remember when me and Mandy were much younger, living at home. Uh, this is before Mandy went off to college. We would, uh, every, every year... My parents would get the, the Christmas presents together and uh, Mandy was always much more nosy than I was. And so she would go around and, and Mandy would come to me one day and she'd say, Hey, I found the Christmas presents. 
And I thought to myself, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> That's a pretty good deal. And Mandy would take me in there. I'll never forget one year they were hid under the uh, office desk. We didn't go in the office very much. It's where the first offices of the church actually were there and the building's still there at our house. And, and uh, we would go there and we'd, we'd go into the... Uh, 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 the office under the table and we would see the, the bags. I'll never forget, that was the year I got my Nintendo 64. That was a good one. That was a good one. And we would look, we would rifle through all of these, we'd rifle through all these presses like, oh, maybe look what you got. Oh, maybe look what I got. But before we would leave, we would always have to make sure that the bags were exactly how we found them. Make sure that we didn't leave any evidence of our being there. Why? Because we were trying to let mom, not let mom and dad know that we had found the presence. Sometimes I get the feeling that Christians live their life that way. It's almost like they can live however they want. And as long as they cover up their tracks well enough, God will never know. The Bible says, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And look at the consequences of Adam and Eve's actions we find in chapter 3, number, uh, verse number 7. Number 1, they were ashamed. The Bible says, and the eyes of them both were opened. And they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. What were they ashamed of? These are the only two human beings in the world. Now think about it. Nobody was going to peek their head over the bush next door and be like, hey, put some clothes on. No, they were the only people in the earth. And yet there was something that had changed internally. Even deeper than internally, something had changed spiritually. And they saw for the first time their nakedness, that they were open. And maybe that's why the Bible says, behold, all things are open and naked, undone before him. They recognized that truth more so at this point than they had ever known it before. They were ashamed. That's the way Christians ought to be when we sin. There's a group of uh, people in the Bible that weren't ashamed. The Bible says, were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? <laughs> Nay, neither did they blush. They, they had gotten so hard and so cold to the fact that they sin and sin and sin and sin that the fact that they were doing wrong against God no longer bothered them. I pray to God we are not at that place. I pray to God that every time we do something wrong, any time we sin or any time we choose our own way instead of God's way, something grabs a hold of our heart like somebody's placed it in the vice and just cranked down as far as they could go. And then they went and grabbed a cheater bar and just kept cranking. And I hope that our heart begins to break before an almighty God and recognize we are not sovereign. We are not the one that directs our steps. We are not the one in charge. But there is a God who loved us and gave His Son for us. And I hope that every time we mess up, something in us breaks and we fall on our face ashamed and guilty before God. Kind of like, David, as Nathan the prophet looked at him and he said, you know, there was one day a rich man and he had all the herds and all the flocks in the world and yet there was one poor man that only had one little lamb and he, he loved it and raised it as if it was his own daughter. And one day the rich man hosted someone from a far country and he went and instead of getting from his own flock, he went to the poor man's house and he grabbed that little lamb, the only lamb that that man had and he, uh, he, he slaughtered that lamb and he fed that lamb to that man and, and David's sitting there in his seat, he's getting angry and he, and he says, you tell me who did this because I'm going to make him repay four times what he said. I can't believe he did that. 
Nathan with a bony finger, like every preacher has one of them, you know, looked at him and said, Thou art the man, David. He said, God gave you this kingdom. God gave you the throne. God gave you the homes. God gave you the mansion. God gave you even every woman of, your, of, the, of the king before you. Everything you want. And, and God says, and if that had been too little, I would have kept giving you, David. But you stepped over here to the famous tree. You took your route. You said, I can run my life better than God can. And at that moment, I can sense David sitting on his throne. I bet he didn't feel like he was in charge at that moment. As his throat began to feel like there was a frog the size of a hubcap in there. And David says, I have sinned a great sin. I hope that's the way that we are. That's the way that we should be. When the Holy Spirit begins to realize in our life that we have done wickedly, we ought to be ashamed. Can you handle that consequence? Because it doesn't stop there. They were ashamed. But number two, they were avoiding God. In verse number eight of chapter three, the Bible says, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden of the cool of the day. Hey, Adam! Hey, Eve, where are you guys at? And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. That's exactly what we do. Nobody sins and runs to pray and acts like everything's okay. Nobody messes up and, and wants to go open their Bible so God can feed them again. And what we do is we go into hiding. We turn into Christian recluses. And we may act like everything's good and like you wouldn't know that something's wrong in my life. And, and I act like everything's fine. But what I do is I turn my face from God. Because I don't want to deal with the consequences of it. And I begin to hide myself from Him. Peter did this when he denied the Lord the third time that rooster crowed. What happened? He made eye contact with Jesus and he went out and wept bitterly. Nobody has good prayer meetings after they mess up. We begin to avoid God. Christian, are you avoiding God tonight because you've got sin in your life? Is there something separating you from God that you're just not willing to get up, give up to Him? Because that's what happens. That's the consequences for our sin Number one, we begin to, we, we become ashamed. And number two, we begin to avoid God. Number three, the third consequence of our sin is this. They were accursed. Look at verse number 16. We find in verse 16 the consequence that Eve had. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and, they sh and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Uh, two things here. Number one, she had an awful childbirth. And number two, she had to submit. You say, I, I don't want to listen to my husband. Blame Eve. God did not say we were more qualified. You just messed up first. Could you imagine... Having a child with no need of pain medication? I'll never forget, we had our first child and they said, uh, Amy, do you want, what is that called, babe? The, the epidural, that's it. 
And they brought in this cart. The anesthesiologist brought in this cart. I said, what does he need a cart for? It's just one little needle. And then he begins to get it out. And he got a crane in there. Are you ready? This may sting a little. I mean, it's just the biggest needle I've ever seen in my life. Could you imagine not having to go through all that? Just have a baby, no big deal. That was one of the consequences for the sin. In uh, verse number 17, we find the man's consequences, Adam's consequence. And unto Adam, he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake, and sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. It says in verse 18, Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field, and the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. We find that the two consequences for the man are work and struggle. It wasn't that God had not, did not have Adam working before. In fact, if you look, I think you can study this out. We don't have time tonight. I have the verses if you're interested in it. But basically, God made nature where it would take care of itself. In other words, the tree would bring forth the fruit that would bring forth the seed and it would just kind of replenish and multiply itself. And the Bible told Adam and Eve what they were to do was not to plant, but was to subdue. You see, there's a difference there. It's almost like they were in charge of maintaining the garden, not in charge of planting the garden. I believe the... Uh, life of a Christian wasn't much different before the fall as it was after the fall. Before the fall, Adam still had the faith that God would make sure that the plants would grow. And God would do that for him. They would, uh, the seed would grow, the seed would plant. It was a beautiful ecosystem. The water would come from the ground. It was just a, a perfect nature. It was paradise. And yet the Bible says, after this, God cursed the ground meaning something changed in the very ground. Now Adam would have to carry a roundup on his hip if he wanted to be a good farmer. Thorns and thistles. Could you imagine Brother John being able to just kind of not even have to plant? Just, man, we got such an abundant harvest. I'm just in a constant state of harvesting. No planting, no plowing, just a constant harvest. That sounds like a pretty good life, doesn't it? It was paradise. Afterward, guess what they had to deal with? The consequences of the famous tree. That when they decided they could direct their life, guess what happens? They had to deal with the consequences. So do we. We become ashamed. We, we begin to avoid God and we are accursed. You realize that you say, well, Brother Andrew, I've been involved in this sin for years and years and years. Every Baptist preacher that I've ever heard of has said what I'm doing is a sin. It ain't got me yet. You ever notice that when you plant a seed, it always comes up later? See, God's not going to strike you down with thunder. He ain't going to shake up heaven just to take care of you. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Proverbs chapter 11 says this, Though hand join in hand, the wicked shall not go unpunished. That is a promise. You can mark her down, brother. God ain't changing that. The wicked shall not go unpunished. We are ashamed. We begin to avoid God. We become accursed. And number four, or letter D, they were abolished. Verse 24, 
The Bible says, So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims, and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. You see, that this tree did not immediately go away. This perfect will of God, the, the permissive will of God, or, or I'm sorry, let, let me clear that up. The, the will of God that God would allow them to have, the perfect will of God did not go away, but God had to keep them from it. Now, if you study it out, there's a reason for that. And a reason that is very gracious. You see, we'll, we won't go into it too deeply, but if they eat of the tree of knowledge and good and evil, the tree that introduced sin into the world, guess what? If they eat this, now they are in a sinful state. Now if they go over here and eat it, now they're in an eternal sinful state. Now they live forever in sin. And God keeping them out of the garden was trying to protect them from themselves. Can you imagine a cherubim with a flaming sword? Like, that's what it says. It turned every other way. This cherubim to protect them. Why? Because God in His grace wanted to one day reunite with them in perfect paradise. Heaven would no longer be on earth. This perfect paradise would no longer exist. Sin had been introduced into the world. If they eat this tree now, their lives are forever doomed. But God, in His mercy and grace, kept them from eating that tree. Why? So He could redeem the Adam's fallen race. But don't miss this. They missed out on the blessings of that tree. They never got to taste how sweet that fruit was. They only know the bitterness of that fruit. You mark her down. Anytime we step over here and begin to play around with this tree, who knows the blessings we're abandoning over there? We just don't even know. Jonah chasing after God and Nineveh. You know, God said, you're going to go to Tarsus and said, no, I think I'm going to go twice the distance in the other direction. He gets on that boat and he paid the fare of because sin always costs you when you get involved in sin. He pays the fare thereof. He gets out there, the waves get to rocking a little bit and them sailors go, what's wrong? I can't believe Jonah, you need to pray. Yeah, I don't really feel like praying right now, guys. Uh, remember, he was running from God. He didn't want to, he was ashamed. He, he didn't want to get involved with that. And so he says, yeah, this is my fault, guys. They throw him over. God had prepared a great fish there. The Bible says it took three days in the belly of that well for him to uh, come to himself. When he finally came to himself in the belly of that well, it took him a day and a half to get back to Nineveh. Or, uh, to, yeah, Nineveh. Four and a half days, Jonah was outside of his will. You ever thought about this? Who may have died... In the four and a half days that Jonah was over there messing around with the famous tree, who may have passed away that didn't get to experience the great revival of Nineveh? You ever thought about that? We never know the blessings we neglect when we spend time over there. We just don't even know. But you rest assured, we miss out on the blessings of God when we're not over here and we're over here. Just kind of getting mixed up now. We spend time over there. Anytime we're over here directing our life, you know what we're doing? We're missing out on the blessings of God over there. As close as heaven gets to earth, we miss out on those blessings because we're spending time over here. The prodigal son returns home. The Bible says the father came a great distance to meet the son. 
He gets there. The father says, I want you to bring a new coat. I want you to bring a a suit. And and I want you to bring a, a ring. I want you to bring a ring that signifies that he's my son. That, that our relationship is no longer severed, but it's been restored. And I want you to bring new shoes. Why do you think the shoes mattered at all? Because the old shoes stank like the pig pen. The old shoes reminded him of where he had been. But, but the father, in love and in grace and in mercy, puts on new shoes. It's as if those shoes had never, ever trampled in that pig pen. Why did he do that? So that he could show him that the relationship was restored. And then the father says, and you bring hither the fatted calf. Let us eat and make merry. You see, God is always willing to restore any Christian. God is always willing to escort every Christian from the famous tree to the forgotten tree. Will you be the one that takes God up on his promise when he says, come now, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be white as wool. Will you take God up on that? promise tonight? Because I am absolutely certain by the number of people in this room that there are some Christians in the room standing, spending time over here, choosing their way, directing their own life. Now, God, I've got this. I'm in control. I can take care of this. If that's you, by the way, I said it earlier, God's perfect will always matches His proclaimed will. You can't be wrong with the Bible and right with God. Is there somebody over here that's standing under this tree tonight that would just look at God and say, God, I'll take you up at your promise and I'll come back over here to the forgotten tree, the path that's harder to walk, the one that is in direct obedience with you. God, the one that I know you want me in, will you come that way? And I believe the Bible says that if we will draw nigh unto God, He will finish the rest of the journey. He'll draw nigh unto us. Tonight, all we have to consider are three quick thoughts. Number one, will we settle for God's permissive will or stay in His perfect will? Number two, will we be content with the blessings that God has already given us or will we forge ahead to create our own? Number three, can we bear the consequences of spending time over there at that tree? God does, God's will is not for any Christian to be over here. God's will is for us to spend time right at Dad's house, right where it's good, right where we're good with Him, where there's no shame, where we're never hiding ourselves from God, where we're in an abiding relationship. Here's what I believe. Every Christian in this room tonight desires this, but few are willing to work for it. Tonight, will you be the Christian that takes God up on His promise when He says, Come now, let us reason together. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and open up, I will come in. Will you be that Christian that will take Him up on that promise?